Um, I'm glad we're able to do this. Oops. Um, I got to get my thing open here. Uh, if you've not been with us, we are in the middle of the series uh, uh, in Philippians, and um, it's been a fun series for me. <laughs> I don't know about for you guys, but I have fun up here. Uh, let me pray before we get started into this. Father, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for this beautiful moment that we've just shared. We thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you for the future. We thank you for uh, just the spirit of this church, sitting with Beth and Steve last night at dinner and hearing how they've come here and they've felt the Holy Spirit's presence in this church. And what a great compliment that, it, that is to a church, Father, that you reside here. And we want to do that more. We want to welcome your spirit here. We want to be open to what you're doing and what you're saying to us and where you're taking us. We want to be great citizens of the kingdom and we want to be great children that represent their father well. So come and speak to us, teach us, lead us, convict us, and bring us joy. Uh, renew a steadfast spirit in us. Let us wear the cloak of your righteousness well. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so, uh, we, as I said, we've been listening to Paul, uh, writing to his friends in Philippi, uh, from prison. And it's a sort of a familiar, intimate letter, uh, reminding and encouraging them to be devoted in all ways in, in the face of persecution and suffering even, right? Uh, for the sake of the gospel message to others. And, uh, Paul's heart and, and, and urging to live a life worthy of the gospel, as we heard in chapter 1, was always to the goal of Jesus' last command, which you're getting probably tired of me hearing me say is the Christian's first concern. But I want to get it beaten into our heads, right? And that's found in Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission, in which Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And surely I'm with you all. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So, great verse. Memorize that one. Keep it in the forefront of your minds. And, uh, you know, Paul's and the Philippians and likewise our central purpose is to be about God's glory uh, in living out his mission, you know, of, of taking the message of salvation to all peoples. I just want to stop there for a moment. I got my notes and I just want to say I was so blessed by going to dinner with, uh, with uh, Steve and Beth last night. And Beth, man, her passion, she's been doing ministry in prison, she's been doing ministry down on the streets of Philadelphia, and just her passion to share the gospel is a a wonderful, encouraging moment to me. And um, I said, man, we've got to get this girl in front of the church and give her testimony. It's pretty awesome. But anyway, that was a side note. But but this, all this stuff, you know, living this is lived in tension. Right, it, it is lived in tension because it often flies flies in the face of uh, uh, the cultural narrative, um, you know, within which we live, and sometimes it brings us suffering and persecution. Um, the message, this message, encompasses as Paul, dic- you know, dictates before and up, up until now that it goes beyond words and it goes into our character, the interior life of the believer. Right, that we're not only saved by grace through faith. But we begin a journey of transformation into the likeness of Christ, taking on his mind, taking on his character. 
And we participate with Jesus in the building of His kingdom on earth right now. We've got something to do, right? And as we do that, God calls us upwards, reflecting His character in a way of life which overflows into proper moral choices. I know that's not popular language these days, that we don't think that there are rights and wrongs, that we don't really think that somebody can tell us that this is moral or not or immoral, but it, it, it is in the Christian life. There, is, there are moral choices to make. And it's reflective of God's heart, and it communicates uh, His commitment to us, and it reflects His commitment to us. And so a transformed life filled with integrity right? And as a result, having a strong witness in the world. Now, if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, you can do that. I think we're on page, I think it's 802, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. As Paul both encourages and presses us further in this thinking, he says this, Therefore, my, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, right, really important word, obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So let's stop there for a moment and let's, let's ask a question. Why? Why would you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling if salvation is, is by grace through faith alone, that it's a total work of Christ? That's a good question, isn't it? Right? Like, if you can do nothing to earn your salvation with Jesus, which we preach and believe here, and it's absolutely a work of grace by Jesus, then why the fear and trembling? And what does it mean, really? to work out your salvation? What does that mean? And those, I think those are good questions. They're the questions I would ask when I come to this passage, right? And I hope we can get some, uh, some, shed some light on this stuff today. So, but if I came to you and I were a billionaire, uh, which you don't want me to be a billionaire, I probably wouldn't spend it rightly, but, but it, and I came to you and I said, you know what? I'll give you everything you need to live. You know, you'll never be in want. So go and live and be free and, you know, do whatever you will and want in this life, right? You'll never, you'll never have need. What would you do? Would you work? Would you be a healthy contributing member of society? Well, maybe some would, but most, most would not, right? Probably not. Most likely, without the influence of the Holy Spirit and, and God's Word and, and the influence of other believers, the local church in your life, an unhealthy lifestyle would develop in you. You would overindulge and squander what you have on desire. Uh, you would travel, would actually eventually become burdensome and boring. boring. You know, you've already been there, you've already done that. Food and drink would sort of lose their taste. Sex would increase in deviance until it loses all appeal altogether. Uh, relationships would be strained and health would probably decline. You know, in short, you would do all the things which actually don't bring you life. Even the good things of life which would become sinful and harmful. You'd slowly sort of kill yourself emotionally, spiritually, and maybe even physically. And it's a recipe for misery. It really is, which would affect everybody around you because misery loves company and darkness is infectious and licentiousness does kill. 
And the sad fact is that many Christians choose exactly this. Maybe not to that extreme. But in their complacency and in, in small ways of constant disobedience to the call of Christ, they don't actually share in the adventure of His suffering and His glory. Salvation, for many, is welcomed, but suffering, the suffering part, is not really welcomed. And Paul's already said that. He's called us to suffer, not only to be saved, but to suffer. So it becomes like a selfish pursuit of a religious nature instead of a life-giving relationship with the living God worked out in daily life, right? Losing sight of the purpose of which we are called or which we have been saved, and that is to reflect God's glory, bringing others into relationship with Him. So the question arises and is naturally posed, and it's a good question, is that truly a saved soul? Is that a saved soul? Now, that's a question that brings a little fear and trembling, (laughs) right? Because, you know, where's the evidence? Where's the change? Where's the transformation? Where is the fruit on the vine, so to speak, right? There are usually signs of a person being in Christ, right? Now, Scripture teaches that we are adopted, we are taken in, taken up as children uh, of God with full rights as sons and daughters in His kingdom. All that is His is ours. That is a, you know, a, a biblical teaching, and it's one we believe here. As it says in Galatians 3.26, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Adopted, taken up. And in the following chapter, he says we are called heirs, right? Children with full rights of the father that all, you know, whatever he owns. And when dad owns the mansion, you can go in any room you want, right? Ephesians 2 teaches that salvation is by grace through faith alone. It is a total work of God in us, right? But our relationship is maturely complex, We aren't just children, right? We're not just children bearing the family name. We are also subjects and citizens of the kingdom of God. We are called to live the standards of that kingdom out before the world around us, reflecting the glory of our king. And God calls his subjects to maturely healthy, life-giving ways. Higher and upward. Ephesians 2, 4-10 through says this, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, right? It is by grace you have been saved. Amen to that. And Paul tells us to what end in verses 7 through 10. He says, in order that, so there's a reason for this, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable, incomparable or incomparable, however you want to say it, tomato, tomato, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So he's using our lives to show the world something, right? And then verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, the peace de resistance, whatever you say that. Uh, for we are, Christine Richardson is laughing at home, because every time I try French, she laughs at me. But, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we notice right there that verses 1 through 9 lead to verse 10. 
they culminate in verse 10. We are saved to an end. We, we are saved for a purpose. We are useful tools in the hand of God, reflecting Him in attitude and speech and action. And the point on that arrow is always Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. We must share the gospel and baptize and teach what God has commanded for the world. So it's not just be about being a good person. It's not just about being saved, getting through the door, right? But it includes being devoted to God's glory through God's mission. And to be on point in our calling, God makes us free and unfettered. He makes us free and unfettered. Now, uh, Scripture doesn't define freedom as anarchy or the absence of rule and order. Not at all. Freedom actually comes under good rule and order, doesn't it? And from good rule and order. Rather, it is defined in Scripture as freedom from the things which bring about spiritual and even physical death. And this is why God's moral law is good. Because it's the best way to live. So, when God says, do this, whatever that be, He's not being controlling. He's saying, do this, which brings life to yourself and others around you, the world around you. Conversely, when He says, don't do that, whatever that is, right? It's also not a controlling statement. He says, don't do these things, which bring death to you and others, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Don't do these things which take you out of your life-giving purpose since we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works with the point of the arrow being Matthew 28, 18-20. You know, a gardener, I thought about this, this the prayer night, uh, Wednesday night, I, I thought about this. A gardener doesn't let the weeds grow up, right, in his garden or her garden and choke the life out of all the plants. Neither do they plant plants so closely that they can't flourish. They don't have room to grow and, and blossom and all that stuff, right? It's orderly. Good gardens are kind of orderly. Even if they don't look orderly, they are orderly, right? And, you know, and as a result, there is full life in a garden. It's the same thing with us. God is calling us to unity under the umbrella of His grace, and the, under the umbrella of His standards and our purpose um, so that his, his life will reign on earth, that his ways and, 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 and his goodness will reign on earth. And so rightly so, Paul you, you know, says, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, and he uses a very important word, and that is obey. Not a very popular word these days, but obey, right? They have obeyed thus far. The Philippians have done a good job at this, right? They've kept the gospel message pure. They've been on point, so to speak. But the risk is that, you know, due to persecution, due to constant suffering, they would be knocked off center. And I think that is largely what is happening to the church these days is that there is a different gospel being preached that is not the gospel at all. And we remember what's said about that, that even if an angel preaches a gospel different than the one that we preach, may they be condemned. Because it's that important. And that's what's happening. Remember Francis Chan's uh, eternity rope that we spoke of two weeks ago? 
in which he had this long rope going all the way out the door of the sanctuary in the church, and you know, and it signified our eternal life. But at the very end, there was only one inch that was painted red that signified our life right now, right? What we're living right now. Pointing out that we often just for we live for our own desires in this little red zone instead of thinking of our purpose in relation to eternity. So we worry about money and we worry about our jobs so much and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, it was so, Steve, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but Steve, Steve was great last night. He's like, he tell me about this point in his life that he went through where money was tight. And every time like he got a little bit of money in the bank, he, something would hit and it would cost exactly that amount. And he got, a, he got used to the Lord saying to him, I'll take care of you, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build it up and then I'm going to take it and pay that off and da, 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 you know, all that stuff. And it was just a faith-building exercise for, for him, right? You know, instead of keeping their eyes on the prize, many of us, many people, you know, often seek uh, escape and comfort to feed personal desire which grows into sin. Uh, placing our gaze on what we think that we need, our own little personal kingdoms, that little red zone right there, instead of what we truly need, and that is Jesus. That is His kingdom, right? The entire rope. And as Paul said in Galatians 5.25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Think about that. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Think about backpacking way out in a remote wilderness and, you know, you need a guide. You have this professional guide and you're following this guide along. If you don't pay attention, right, and, and you go off trail and you, you didn't keep in step with your guide, you may lose your way, you may get lost, and you may even die. You're getting eaten by a bear. And Paul is saying, keep your eyes locked on, on the Spirit's leading. Also in Galatians 5.16, he says, So I say, Walk, this is such a good verse. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice the way that that's written, right? You know, it doesn't say, don't gratify the desires of the flesh and then you will be walking by the Spirit. It says the reverse of that. In other words, here's the the point. In other words, our central purpose is not to sit here and avoid sin all the time, be uptight little legalists, avoiding sin all the time. That's not the purpose. It is to follow Christ. And in following Christ, everything falls into place. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2, right? Keep in step with the Spirit, being transformed by the renewing of our minds to understand and know what God's good and perfect will for life is for us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That we don't get lost on the trail and eaten by a bear or a mountain lion or something. So we live in this tension of working out our salvation, but also having been saved by grace through, through faith. There's a tension there. Working out our salvation is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Simply that, right? Pressing on towards maturity in in the faith. Never to become arrogant and never to become complacent in faith either, right? See, the mature Christians always asking themselves the questions, am I walking with Jesus well? You know, where am I not being obedient? Am I following him? And that's not self-doubt, people. It's not. 
That is healthy self-evaluation. It's like a spiritual, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Anyway. <laughs> but the, the ability to ask these questions without guilt or shame, because we don't want to feel this shame. God never shames us, right? The ability to ask these questions without feeling guilt or shame in failure when we don't do it well, because we don't do it well every day, right? comes out of an assurance of salvation in our lives. It really does. I stand on Jesus. And 6.8 believes in the assurance of salvation so strongly that we put it in writing in our statement of faith. And I would say that if you take away the concept of assurance of salvation, everything falls apart. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because then it's all about me and how I measure up. Here are the two statements from our foundational documents, each with scriptural references, which I won't go through. But it says, we believe that salvation is a gift of grace from God, received by faith, and yielding new, abundant, and eternal life. And then it says, we believe in eternal security. I mean, once in Jesus, always in Jesus, basically, right? It is grace and the keeping power of God that gives this security. Salvation is affected and maintained by the grace and power of God, not by the self-effort of the Christian. If I live my life just to try to avoid sin and do good and, and measure up all the time, I will fail. But if I just follow Jesus, everything works out. It's maturity to be concerned about my walk and my witness while rooted in this eternal position with Jesus. And that actually brings a lot of sense of humor. We can laugh about ourselves, right? It brings an openness to being confronted by your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, too. And that's the healthy tension of the Christian life. Notice, Paul follows this statement in Philippians with this. He says, it is God, God, (laughs) who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God working in me for God's will to be lived out through me in character and action. And this gives us pause to consider how important our lives and our choices are as we are given over to his purposes and not ours. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't think you're very important in this whole thing, that is a lie from Satan. You are extremely important in the kingdom of God. Your personality, your voice, how you see life, what you're doing, is, is got, it's got extreme value. You're the only one that can lead somebody else to Christ sometimes. They need you. Remember that. You are not garbage. God has created you with a unique personality and voice and everything else about you that leads into the kingdom in in a way that nobody else can do. Right? By the way, we are looking for a new worship leader. We're not looking to replace Vinnie and Mary and Jack. We're looking for a new worship leader. And I, I think they understand that, is that we're not sitting here replacing. We can't replace that. And, 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 and somebody else coming along, they need to give their own thing to us, you know? That's different. I, I'm, I'm going off script here, but anyway. <laughs> but it's important, right? And this reality sort of occupies the frontal lobe of the Christian life in all that we think and say and do, how I treat others, 
how I live my life, justice issues, you know, am I being just, am I acting for justice? And if I am, and especially if I am sharing Christ with others in this world in word and in deed, am I a Bible that people can read? In short, does Jesus really reign in my life? Good questions. Scripture communicates that we are fully saved, but we are also being saved at the same time. Isn't that weird? Right? There's all these little tension things in Scripture. I love it. And that latter statement, being saved, means that we're being transformed into Christ's likeness as time goes on, taking on His character. It means restoration over time into the original image that we were supposed to own in the first place, that we were supposed to reflect in the first place. We are made perfect by Christ's record. Yes, that is true. And when God looks at me right now, He sees the perfect record of Christ. He sees Jesus' perfect moral record. I am legally covered by Christ's righteousness. My debt has been paid. Jesus took my place before the judge. Thank you for that. Uh, And I, I will say, I'm picking on you guys this morning, but Beth, she expressed that so beautifully last night. Just in such a powerful, passionate way. It struck me, you can tell, right? I keep bringing it up, but... But as I walk out my life, I'm being made perfect by the renewing of my mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? And this happens in a transformative way through time, uh, through the loving confrontation of wrong attitudes and behavior in my life, through the Word of God, as I read it and I assimilate it into my heart and life, through the conviction and the direction of the Holy Spirit as God speaks to me and leads me in certain ways. And also through the sharpening of my character by other mature Christians in my local church. You guys. And many of you have confronted me about things that I needed to be confronted about over time. And I hope that I always stay open to that. So fellowship is the third element in the sort of transformational unity of word, spirit, and church. We need fellowship. Somebody recently said to me, oh, I don't really need the church. No, no, actually you do. You do. The Christian life cannot be lived as an island unto itself, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Now, I want you to, I want you to realize how often Paul talks about holding on to the gospel, the true gospel message. I mean, you see it all over the place in his, in his writings, right? Now, I would remind you, brothers of, the, uh, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in, in, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved... If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Yeah, that's it, right? Unless you believed in vain. Unless you didn't really get it, right? Now, we can't understand the human heart. You know, only God can. But we can experience the effects of a person's heart in our lives. I had a guy, for, for instance, once coming around in a really dire situation. I didn't know him. He just kind of showed up on the church doorstep, started asking me all these questions and, you know, professing this great faith in Jesus. And he, he was going to turn over a new leaf and come to church all the time and be involved. And in the end, in the end you know, we, we helped him financially. And none of that happened. He was simply manipulating the system to get what he wanted. But I can't read a heart. I don't know that. I just got to go through the process. 
That's God's business, not mine, right? But I do know from, from Scripture and an, an experience in my life that I'm saved, me, and I'm being saved at the same time. And I do know that I can see that happening. I can see that the effects of that in other growing Christians around me. I see it in your lives. Praise God. Typically, there are signs in a person's life which we refer to as the fruits of the Spirit. Now, sometimes it takes a long time. You've got to give like a decade or so. so you know what I mean? Some of, some of us change really slowly. Change happens slowly, but that's okay. The point is, do we have a repentant heart? Do we want to change? Do we want to be transformed? Right? Do we want God to own us and, and direct us and guide us? You know, it also states in Hebrews 3.14, it says, We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Same sort of thing, right? Which means that the growing, mature Christian doesn't just desire salvation from Jesus. I don't just want to get in the door, but we, de- we, de- we desire to serve Jesus well in this world. They keep the purity of the message. They stay close to Jesus and they share him with others. Amen. Right? I think if you get around certain personalities, again, like Beth, you're, you're not going to hear anything but Jesus. Amen to that. Do, and I told her last night, don't lose that. <laughs> don't lose that. Don't let it get stomped out of you. Don't let it damp, get dampened. That's what we want. Is that spirit. Just like what Jesus has done for me, I can't help but to tell you, right? You know, at birthday parties, I, you know, I raised four kids and, you know, when they're from birth to however old they are now, but um, <laughs> they're older. Um, thank God, you know, <laughs> the emptiness is a good thing. I, I know I do. I miss my kids. By the way, my son, if you ever, if you, if you are on Instagram and you're linked to my son, Check out his little story. He, he surprised his wife with a gift to New York City, a trip to New York City, but they stayed in an Airbnb van on the street. It's like, it was the funniest thing in the world. Raising kids is fun. But at birthday parties, you know, kids get this cake. They get a slice of cake, right? And 15 minutes later, you see all these little plates laying around with just the icing eaten off of it and the cake staying on the plate, right? And then the adults' plates are like almost the exact opposite. Like they'll, they'll eat the cake, but they leave the icing because, you know, healthy people, they, unlike me, I eat the whole thing. But, uh, but you know, I, I actually might even just eat the icing off. But, but they, they leave the icing. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to gain weight or whatever. And you can almost take the cake from the kids and fit it into the icing of the parents and reserve it to somebody as like, you know what I mean, as an untouched piece. But, you know, thinking about that, mature Christians consume the whole message. They, eat, they, 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 not, they not only eat the icing of salvation, but they eat the cake of suffering along with it. Right? They're willing to, to go through it. Now, having said all that, Paul continues his thoughts in verses 14 through 18. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Some people think that that kind of language is negative. Well, no, I'm sorry. It is a warped and crooked generation. If you've not read your, your uh, voting thing, like what, what your candidates believe and all this stuff, read it. You're going to hear some pretty nasty stuff on there. Like some of the things that are being considered in America right now are absolutely, and I'm, I'm sorry, they are downright evil. Amen. Uh, amen. They are. They are. 
you know, should you kill a baby after it's born and sur- been, after it's survived the abortion? Oh my goodness. I think just evil stuff. I'm not, I'm not endorsing any political side or candidate, but I am saying some of the things that our country is going, the, the roads that we're going down is, are absolutely evil. And you gotta think about that, right? Sorry, that, but it is a warped and crooked generation. It really is. And then he continues, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run run or labor in vain. Like Paul's done a lot of work with these people. He wants them to keep going, right? But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, amen to that, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I would love to hang out with him. I really would. You know, when grumbling and arguing are evident, disbelief and distrust are evident. In a, they were in place by driven by pride, right? So one reason people are not transformed is that they have this pride of distrust and disbelief in their life. You know, we don't really trust that God can and will transform us for the better. But God can do wonderfully great things. Ask Beth. <laughs> you know, if you could look out on a room full of prisoners, you might think, you know, I wish you knew. I wish you knew how God could transform you. Because this whole facility would change. Right? And, and no longer would you live in fear and have to establish your, you know, your place through violence and manipulation. And you got to remember, you have to realize, it is a warped and crooked, crooked generation, and we must see uh, humanity as prisoners of sin in the same way. Not just physical prisoners in a prison, but we are looking out on a world right now where people are prisoners without Christ. True transforming faith is practiced in this sea of cultural transformation. It really is. Although in some ways, I would say that humanity still reflects God. We are his creation. So we still reflect God in some ways. It, it has to, but it's, it's like looking in a broken mirror. And if, you know, when you look into a broken mirror, you, what do you notice? You don't notice the good stuff. You don't notice the image, you know, the good image. But, it, but you see all the cracks and the distortion. You see all the bad stuff. And you certainly don't think that those cracks can be repaired. It's better to just throw it out and start all over again, right? You ever been driving down the highway and you get a crack and you're, you know, you're like a rock flies up and cracks your windshield? It's like, you know, as soon as that happens, you're like, oh, you know, you hate it, right? Well, the windshield repair guy doesn't throw out the windshield, does he? He comes over with a little suction cup, puts it on it and injects some sort of glue in there and, and, and the crack disappears. It's amazing. It's like magic. Well, Christ in the same way, and it's a weird illustration, but his, his, by his work and his power on the cross repairs the image of God in us. Jesus does for us what a windshield repairman does to our windshield. The cracks disappear and we are reflecting God once more in our life. Amen to that. The, the scriptures teach that we are actually a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that is a theological reality in Christ for you. We are saved by grace through faith, something which can never be taken away from us. Positionally, we are legally declared righteous in Christ. 
But that isn't self-righteousness, remember. Meaning that I earn my salvation with God. Rather, it is Christ's righteousness. He took on our sin, becoming cursed, and He experienced a separation from the Father in, in death for us. He suffered all things to bridge the gap between us and God the Father once again in life. And and then he left us here with the task of taking up what was left of his suffering, what was lacking, Paul says, lacking in his suffering for for his purposes in the world. And due to his moral, his perfect moral and righteous record, he was the only sufficient sacrifice for salvation. For humankind the perfect lamb right without blemish signified in all of that sacrificial system of the temple before christ came along and which by the way is no longer practice since it doesn't have to be the final sacrificial lamb has come in jesus that system was all just this foreshadowing of the messiah's work to come on behalf of humankind and we've got it So as Dallas Willard would say before he passed away, I think he, yeah, he passed away. uh, God, God isn't against effort. He's against earning. God isn't against effort. He's against earning. What a great statement. You cannot earn your salvation, your place with God, but you can make effort to grow in his likeness, grow in his character, and to live for his glory and mission in the world, which takes devotion and thought and effort and work. Good work. My daughter, I'm going to brag on my daughter a little bit. Uh, my daughter, Saina, goes to the temple and she texted me this week and she said, um, I did my first ever, uh, can I pray for you right now with somebody? You know, we teach this at 6-8 and, and in the vineyard as a whole that you know, when you're sitting with somebody, you don't do the old like Presbyterian Christian thing where you say, well, I'll pray for you. And then you walk away and you don't really ever pray for them. You actually say, can I pray for you right now? And then you pray over them you know, on the spot. So she met, she was talking to some guy on the street, um, you know, and she's listening to him. She goes, can I pray for you right now? And he, she prays over him. And he said, yeah, you can pray for me, but also pray for the world. She goes, okay, I'll pray for the world too. So she prayed for the world and for him. And then uh, she texted me right away. She goes, I did it for the first time. Now that is something that she learned here in the context of this church. I'm proud of that. And it's a tool in being a witness and opening up someone's eyes and their heart to see the inbreaking kingdom of God in their life. It's one simple way to be a witness for Christ. It is one little tool, one little step that you can take with somebody that actually blows the doors off of people's lives. I would suggest you try, you try that. So here's some practical advice as this long-winded pastor ends today. No matter what happens, as Paul says, no matter what happens, hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the gospel, because it is true. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Not the opposite. Find some freedom. Find some good you know, uh, humor in your faith. Smile and laugh. Get together with people. And don't think that you're going to be perfect, because you're not. But God is working in you to completion, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Run as if to win the prize, although your prize is already promised and sealed in him already. By the way, everything that God has is yours. 
You've been given the billion dollars. You don't, you're never going to be in need or want. But still, as we walk this out, abide in the vine. Allow Jesus as the gardener to prune and prepare you to bear fruit. Get in the Word. Follow, stay lockstep with the Spirit. Get involved in church. Strive in all you do to share in the sufferings of Christ. Don't just eat the icing. You know, take them all in. Eat the whole cake as well. Do what God dictates as good in the Scriptures because it gives life to you and to others. Even if you don't understand all that, follow it. Be obedient to it. Don't do what He prohibits because it brings death to your life and others. Even if you feel drawn some other way, trust that the Lord has your back. All right? Work out your, your, your salvation with fear and trembling, not because you can lose it, but because you want to share, uh, to, uh, to serve your king well. And be about Jesus' last command. Right? Be concerned. You know, make that your first concern. Because due to his obedience and going to the cross and his resurrection from the dead, dead, Jesus does have all authority given to him. And he calls us to go and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. And he is with us always to the very end of the age, even if you don't feel it at times in your walk. He is here. So, Here's, a, here's some practical challenge for this week. Pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you as to where you're not being a strong witness in your life. And to identify you know, those places in your life which are hindering you in running the race well. Is there something you need to give up? Is there an idol you need to crucify? Right? And if you're not already... And I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor and blah, 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 and this is the church and I want everybody involved. No, get into a community group. Get involved in this church, either through Zoom or through in person. You know, come, come and join it in person. However you do it, get involved because it means something in your life. To have these relationships where people, you know, you bump up against people and they see things and let yourself be known and get to know others and allow each other to speak into each other's lives. Don't be afraid of that. Uh, And if you're not in the habit of it, have a simple, quiet time every day. That means you take, you know, five minutes to half an hour, an hour, however long you want to do it, I would say at least 15 minutes, and sit down with the Scriptures and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to understanding, make observations about it, interpret what it means to you, and then make application for your life. And by the way, if you don't know how to do that, come talk to me. That's part of my job is to teach these things and to lead people in these things, but also uh, you have a free account with Right Now Media. And that's not just like something like, we put it on our website for whatever. Go sign up for that free account. And there's plenty of little 10-minute Bible study videos on there. So if you're not the kind of guy that can sit there and break up and read and that kind of like you fall asleep as soon as you start reading, watch videos, right? Just take, study Philippians as we're going through it. Just go to the Philippians, you know, type in Philippians and find some little videos of Bible studies to study it. There's good stuff in there, right? And then finally, pray that the Holy Spirit opens a door for you both to share the gospel with someone this week 
and to pray over them in that moment and actually do it. That's a big challenge. I know many of us are not comfortable doing that. So press yourself, push yourself to be a minister of the gospel. Again, I'm sorry, Beth, I'm using you so much. But it was just so encouraging to me last night. I hope that's an encouragement to you that it was encouraging to me. Just listening to her, like she uses words like preach. Like she considers herself to preach. Many of you think that I, I'm the preacher. No, man, like you guys are all ministers of the gospel. I get paid for this, but geez, this is your job, right? I'm equipping you. You know, that's part of my job is to equip the saints for all the good works that we're doing. We cannot reach this community. We cannot reach this world. We have, we have fingers over in Indonesia. We have fingers over in Syria and Lebanon and things like that. We can't do that work just with a couple people doing it. God bless you guys. Jesus has got work for you, <laughs> right? And he blesses us so much as we do it. I'll shut up now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for Ephesians chapter 2. We thank you for the assurance that we have in you. We thank you that you uh, never let us go. And we thank you also that you endow us with purpose. And you equip us for that purpose. And you empower us for that purpose. That you take us to the next level. You are such a good God. You are such a blessing to us. And we also want to be a blessing back to you in the work that we do for the sake of your name. And it's in your beautiful son's name we pray. Amen.